Good morning, everyone. Fantastic time of worship this morning to be reminded of how our God is worthy of praise, that we love him, that he is a God who answers prayer. And um, we must persist in prayer. God hears our prayers. He wants to answer our prayers. So be encouraged this morning. I know he's a God that answers prayers because he answers my prayers. And uh, he's been answering the prayers for me and my family. As uh, you know, I've uh, sort of launched into this itinerant ministry. And, and God's been good. You know, my, uh, my diary's getting full uh, this year. A uh, place to go. providing for our needs. And thank you for your prayers here and for uh, your support. And um, if we're obedient to God, he provides. He, he walks with us. He's with us. In, in all our daily life and our daily activities. And uh, you need to know that. Not, not just about the big things, but even the small things he's interested in. And we can come before him and see him moving power in our lives. So be encouraged. I want to uh, read to you this morning from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. I've already caused a bit of havoc turning up because I'm reading from the ESV, which apparently is not on the screen. So you're going to get something like it, but uh, there'll all be uh, something similar. But um, Acts 4, 32, 37, uh, familiar words to us, but I'm just going to pick on something from this this morning to share with you. It says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let me just pray. Father, we just pray now as we open your word and we look at it's, uh, what you want to say to us this morning. Pray, Lord, that you would have your way, that your spirit would come and minister to us. There may only be one or two things that said this morning that's really applicable to our lives right now. But I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will impress it upon our hearts and upon our minds. And it will bring about change in our lives. For we want to serve you and honor you. So help that to happen this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to continue this morning with our theme of encouragement. Pastor Phil spoke last week on that topic. And again, Simon mentioned our New Year text this morning, which is Hebrews 10. 24 to 25 which says this and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching so I want to talk to you this morning about encouragement I wonder whether you've ever been given a nickname whether you've been given a nickname. I was watching Football Focus yesterday, like I'm sure most of you are doing, and um, they were interviewing a footballer from the past, a guy who was well-known in the 1970s, played for Chelsea, called Ron Harris. 
But when he was spoken to, he, didn't, he wasn't called Ron Harris. Uh, John Motson called him Ron Chopper Harris. If you remember him, he was well known for, for, for his tackling and chopping people down, uh, which you could do in the 1970s. Now, you know, you just got to look at a player in the wrong way and you get booked. Uh, but then you could chop people down. It made me think of, of nicknames that people have been given. I uh, hung around with a small group of guys at school and we all had nicknames. Uh, my nickname, rather um, cleverly, was Brownie. I mean, I don't know where they got that one from, for me. But within this little group, we had a guy called Terence Green. Guess what his nickname was? Greeny, yeah, well done, that's right, yeah. We had another guy with us, he was called Chris Brook. What do you think his nickname was? Brookie, yeah. And then we had a guy called David Watson. Guess what his nickname was? No. His nickname was Bungalow. Because he didn't have much upstairs. That was, his, uh, that was his nickname. But throughout time, people have been given nicknames. And usually nicknames are, are given to people and it follows some kind of trait within their life. So we have famous nicknames, don't we? So like we have someone who was called the Louisville Lip. Do you know who the Louisville Lip was? Also known as the greatest Muhammad Ali was known as the Louisville Lip. And also the greatest, Honest Abe, the Abraham Lincoln, the Iron Lady, Margaret Thatcher, the Bard of Avon, William Shakespeare. Guess, I don't know if you know this, but Louis I of France was called the Debonair. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I think that would have been a good one for me rather than Brownie. <laughs> but sadly, um, one of the leaders in the past of Bulgaria, a, a guy named... Ivelo, Ivelo of Bulgaria, his nickname was The Cabbage. Not so good. Richard Nixon was Tricky Dicky. And Charles de Gaulle, when he was young, apparently had this great nickname. He was called The Great Asparagus. What a great nickname to have. You know, in our text this morning, in our, in our Bible reading, we are introduced to a familiar name. But we probably don't know or maybe not sure about this but actually the name we're introduced to is actually a nickname not his proper name and that name is Barnabas. We're told here in in Acts 4.36 where we're first introduced to him um, that his real name is Joseph. Joseph but he was given another name by the apostles. He was given a nickname and the nickname was Barnabas and we are told in the text what Barnabas means. It means son of encouragement. What a great nickname to be called Barnabas by the apostles. Encouragement must have been such a strong trait in this man's life that the apostles decided to name him after that trait. He was a son of encouragement. I wonder, following along those lines, if we were hanging out with the apostles, um, what nickname they would give us. It's a bit scary to think, isn't it? What is the strong trait you and I exhibit to people that means other people may call us that? Maybe not to our faces, maybe behind our backs. Maybe we might not be Barnabas, maybe we may be Bar Winger, or Bar Happy, or Bar Grumpy, or Bar Joyful, or Bar Humbug. What would we be known as? Barnabas was with these apostles and they named him the son of encouragement. 
What a nickname to live up to. What a legacy and what a challenge to us this morning. I wonder whether someone would say of you and I that he or she is a son or a daughter of encouragement. I wonder whether that's how people see us. So the Bible exhorts us to follow the example of those who've lived and gone before us and served before us. Paul, who was one who would have been greatly encouraged by Barnabas, writing to the believers at Philippi, said this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul was encouraging the believers, look at those who are walking the walk and talking the talk and living the life and be like them. Imitate them. Barnabas would be someone that you'd want to imitate. He was clearly a massive encouragement to people. In Acts 11 and verse 24, we're told of Barnabas. Luke tells us that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Man, what if someone said that about us as well? Wouldn't that be amazing? That we're just such a good person, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, loving the Lord Jesus. Well, this morning we're just going to have a, a short character study on Barnabas to find out why he earned the nickname Son of Encouragement. And in doing so, I'm hoping that this morning as we look through some of these passages, um, it will be a great encouragement to us also. So we first hear of Barnabas back in Acts chapter 4, where I read from this morning. And it says there that the church had gathered together and that there were people there who were selling their property, their houses, their lands, and they were bringing the money and putting it at the apostles' feet. But Barnabas is named here. He's the only one that's named. It says that people were doing that, but he's the only one that's named. He brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet after he sold a field. It's an, it's an amazing insight, isn't it, in Acts there, of this fledgling church. We see what's happening. It says, there was not a needy person among them. There was not a needy person among them. This group, this small group of believers together there in the beginning, were the original Christians against poverty. They made sure no one had a need. They alleviated each other's poverty. They looked after each other. They were a family. They encouraged one another. Everything they had belonged to the group. Didn't belong to them personally. You know, there are many uh, churches and Christians throughout the ages who've tried to emulate this. And they'd look at this and they'd say, well, this is what the church should be like. And you know, for many of our churches and many of us believers, we, we've gone away from this model. And it's particularly hard for us, isn't it? Living in Western Europe as we do, where we're sort of living in a society where it's all about me. And, and we don't do family very well. And we isolate ourselves from people. And yet, as a group of believers, a group of Christians, we're meant to be family. Family is not just those that, you know, like your brothers and sisters by blood. But, but, but in Christ, we are family. And in this early church, they saw it such that they would give everything, everything in to make sure that no one had any need. And Barnabas is named here. And I wonder why he's named here. Well, the first thing I want us to think about is that Barnabas clearly encouraged believers to give. Barnabas encouraged believers to give. Many of them owned houses and land and sold them, bringing the proceeds and laying them at the apostles' feet. 
But we find that Barnabas is mentioned by name. Why? Well, from Matthew Henry's commentary, we we get a little insight from him here. It says, Barnabas was singled out for mention because it is assumed that he disentangled himself from the affairs of this life in order to preach the gospel to the world and made a generous donation to the church. I like what he's saying here. It's assumed that Barnabas disentangled himself from the affairs of this life. He was one who wasn't bothered about this life. He was looking to the life to come. So Barnabas was one who encouraged people not to look down, but to look up. Barnabas was one who encouraged people not to get entangled with the affairs of this life, but rather look towards serving Jesus. Barnabas was one who, by example, encouraged people to live for Jesus and to give their all for Jesus. It seems the more you read about Barnabas, and we're only touching on a few things in his life uh, this morning, I encourage you to go away and read more about him. But it seems that he was an all-in kind of guy. He was an all-in kind of guy. You and I are an all-in kind of people. I'm always encouraged when I meet all-in kind of people. I met a few of those in my life. There's not many who give everything to the Lord Jesus. I remember back in 2009, I told you this before, this story of going out to, to New York where we visited Metro Ministries to see the world's biggest Sunday school. And there meeting a guy called Pastor Bill Wilson. He's an all-in kind of guy. He's everything with Bill Wilson. It's everything or nothing. He gives his life to serving those kids in New York. And now it's spread around the world. And when you have someone like that, they influence people. You can see how Barnabas would have encouraged people to follow the Lord Jesus and give their all because he was an all-in kind of guy. We need to meet all-in kind of people. On the back of meeting Bill Wilson, back there, he, I've seen other people that he's influenced. I know Jamie too knows people that have been influenced by him. Uh, the lady that took us out to New York in 2009, she packed up everything, her house, her job, everything. She's now in charge of Metro World Child in Kenya. She's been living out there for the past five years. She's just decided, look, I've just seen Pastor Bill in action. He's an all-in kind of guy. He's giving everything for Jesus. I want to be like that. I want to do that. So I'm going to pack up everything. I'm, not, I'm going to disentangle myself from the things of this world and this life. I'm going to go and live in Kenya amongst these kids and reach them for Jesus. I'll tell you also, all-in kind of people as well. Sam and Hannah Stockel are all-in kind of people as well. I'm always greatly encouraged by them. Every time I read the newsletter, I see the pictures. I just saw on Facebook this morning, I think they're on the way back from their two weeks of activity, out uh, doing all kinds of things. But they packed up, sold everything, took their little children off to Nepal to live there in that situation. I saw a little bit of a program this week on Nepal. It was Michael Palin, one of those programs he goes all over the world. It looks a tough place to go and live if you're from the West. But they packed up everything to go. All in kind of people. These are the ones who disentangle themselves from the affairs of this life in order to reach people with the gospel. These are the ones perhaps who take far more seriously than the rest of us, the words of Jesus, when he said this, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves breaking and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How well Jesus knew the human condition. That we tend to want to have comfort. We tend to want to have safety. We want things around us to keep us happy. But it seems here that Barnabas was not like that. He was one of these all-kind or all-in kind of guys. And he encouraged others to live the same. So maybe when it mentions him here that he sold his field that he owned and he brought the money to the apostles' feet. I don't know, maybe he was the first one to do it. I don't know. Maybe. There's some reason why he's mentioned specifically. Maybe he was setting the example. He was the one saying, come on guys, let's do this. Let's give out all to this work in following the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, there's something we know really, really well. We know that material possessions are finite, but heavenly treasure is infinite. We know this, but we struggle to live it. Why is it that the more we have, the more we need? Why is it that the more we have, the more depressed and miserable we become? I think we miss the point of what it's all about when we think it's about possessions. And we've just had Christmas and we just see the madness that is Christmas or Black Friday, all these things. It's just going and grabbing things as if that's what's going to make life uh, more special, more important, more valuable. And it doesn't work. See, material possessions will never bring lasting joy. And you find, don't you, if you visit anywhere, as we, as we have done some of us, in places like Africa, that those who have far less seem far happier. Those who have far less are far happier. And what do we do? We go along and tell them that they need all that we have. No, they don't. We need what they have. Simplify. Maybe that's maybe a bit of a target this year for us to simplify our lives and give our all to Jesus. See, Barnabas gave his material possessions not just because uh, he thought it was a good thing to do, but it says here he did it to help others. He did it to help others and we are encouraged to do the same. The Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesian church said this. This is Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. It would be great if that was our mindset, that all that we have, it's not ours, it's, it's to share, it's to give, it's to help, it's to encourage. And Barnabas clearly was a son of encouragement and he encouraged the believers to give. Secondly, Barnabas encouraged believers by his example. We've already thought about the example of the way he gave. He just sold what he had, put it into the pot and said, let's Let's serve people. Let's help each other. But he's also encouraging people by his example. The most common word for encouragement in the Bible is the Greek word parakaleo. Para means beside, near, or alongside. And kaleo means to call. It's very similar to a word used in the Bible for the Holy Spirit. The Greek word there is the word paraclete which means someone who comes alongside another to counsel, to encourage, to help, to bring comfort. It could be said of Barnabas that he was a type of the Holy Spirit. 
He obviously, through his encouragement, got alongside people and said, come on, let's keep going. Let's do this. Look at, come on, we've got a mission to do. We've got a Lord to serve. Encourage people in the business of being about the gospel. Barnabas was an encourager. And as such, he was paraclete, one who came alongside and encouraged people. We too can be paraclete. Do we get alongside people and encourage them? And hold them up when they're falling down. Carry them when they can walk no longer. I was going to bring a video clip to, uh, to show you this morning. You may have seen it anyway. And it's of, it was of the Brownlee brothers. Do you remember the Brownlee brothers? When uh, you know, they do the triathlon, don't they? They're from Leeds. Uh, so obviously from Yorkshire. So they're specially blessed, these guys. And that's why they win so often. But um, one race where it was, um, I forget which was, I think it was Jonathan whose legs were just failing. Did you see that? Where he's, he's the final leg, he's running to the line, he's in the lead, looks like he's going to win, and suddenly his head just can't work his legs anymore. And his legs are all over the place, and you can see him, and you think, like, it's just so hard to watch. And he sort of stumbles onto the side. And this guy comes on, the South African comes over and takes over. Instead of helping him, because that's what South Africans do. No, I'm kidding. Uh, they just runs past him. But then his brother, Alistair, came around the corner, saw his brother. What did he do? He could have won himself, but he didn't. He went, got his brother, put his arm around his neck, and carried him to the line. And then he threw him over the line. He really did. He threw him over the line to make sure his brother finished second, and he only finished third. What an amazing example of encouraging someone, of getting alongside someone, of making sure they finish the race. Friends, because that's what it's about for us, isn't it, as believers. It's about finishing the race that's set before us. You know, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. We've said this loads of times. And for some of us, we're struggling to get over the line. Life's hard. Things have, have happened to us. Singapore Kirsty at the moment, with cancer returning. How struggle, how struggle it will be for that. I was watching a video clip um, I found them on, on my hard drive um, just a couple of weeks ago and it, when we went to Uganda the first time and Kirsty was there full of life and full of beans and excitement and everything and she came back to find out she got breast cancer and since then it's been really hard for her. Kirsty needs people to carry her towards the line. We here need each other to carry each other towards the line. This is what Barnabas was good at. He got alongside someone. He built people up. He would encourage them. He put his arm around them. He encouraged people by his example. And like it or not, people do learn behavior from us. People do learn behavior from us. We, we either set a good example or we set a bad example. So let's think about this for a moment. You know, if we gossip, we encourage others to gossip. If we lie, we encourage others to lie. If God is not a priority for us, we won't encourage God to be a priority for others. If we show more interest in worldly pursuits, we will encourage others in worldly pursuits. If we're full of faith, we encourage others to be full of faith. If we love Jesus, we encourage others to love Jesus. Friends, we are an example to someone in our lives, in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our school. We're an example, they're watching us. Kevin DeYoung, the American pastor and author said this, 
The one indispensable requirement for producing godly mature Christians is godly mature Christians. Uh, let me read that again. The one indispensable requirement for producing godly mature Christians is godly mature Christians. Because we lead by example. It was clear that Barnabas so loved the Lord and so lived for the Lord that he encouraged others by his example to do likewise. What about us? Let's think about this for a moment. What about us? What are we encouraging others to do? What do people see in us? Are we encouraging them to live for the Lord Jesus? Are we encouraging them to get alongside people and love people or not? Barnabas also encouraged others to be faithful to Christ. It tells us this in Acts 11.23. This is when he visited the church in Antioch. Um, this is what's reported. It says, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted or encouraged them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. When he came and saw the believers in Antioch, he saw the grace of God. He was glad and he exhorted or encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. When Barnabas visited the church in Antioch, he saw the grace of God on those believers and he was glad. He was glad. He saw the Lord at work among the believers and he encouraged them to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. You see, it seems to me from reading Barnabas, this is what he was about. He was always encouraging people to stick with the Lord, to stay with the Lord, to keep running the race. He saw the grace of God on these people and he said, you continue to remain faithful. Now notice that he encouraged them in their good Christian behavior. The primary encouragement is not to make people feel good but to encourage people to remain faithful. Let me say that again. The primary encouragement is not to make people feel good, but to encourage people to remain faithful. To hear words that constantly make you feel good may be nice, but they'll not be helpful when trouble hits your life. You know, there's this uh, thing going on in the church, not talking Sunbridge here, but talking the church abroad at the moment, where there's almost this, uh, this dualism going on. There's this, this battling. You have what's called the feel-good gospel, and you have what I would call the faithful gospel. Feel good, faithful. You hear people, Christians, people going to church, maybe been going to church a long time, saying, I want church to make me feel good. I want to hear a message that makes me feel good, that's going to help me in my life. I don't want all these downer messages. I don't want to be told I'm a sinner and I'm a, I'm a bad person and I'm getting things wrong. No, I just want to feel good. The reality is a feel-good church that never confronts sin will by default affirm sin. A feel-good church that never confronts sin will by default affirm sin. R.C. Sproul in his book, Choosing My Religion, said this, We want to be saved from our misery but not from our sin. We want to sin without misery, just as the prodigal son wanted inheritance without the father. The foremost spiritual law of the physical nature is that this hope can never be realized. Sin always accompanies misery. 
There is no victimless crime and all creation is subject to decay because of humanity's rebellion from God. See, I think if Barnabas went along to Antioch and he found them all sinning like they were in Corinth when Paul went there, he wouldn't have been encouraging them to continue in their sin. He, he, would, have, he would have rebuked them. He was encouraging the positive things he saw, their faithfulness in the Lord Jesus. And he wanted them to remain steadfast in that. I encourage you to stay with the Lord. Keep going with that. Friends, we sometimes need others to be honest with us who will encourage us to remain faithful to him who gave himself for us. We don't want to pat each other on the back if we see things wrong in life. I was listening to the radio uh, yesterday as I was driving around and uh, I don't know if you're aware of a little controversy that's going on in the sporting world, in the tennis world at the moment, but it's all to do with a lady called Margaret Court. And Margaret Court, famous tennis player, and she was 11 times winner of the Australian Open. Famous Australian. And they've named uh, an arena after her called the Margaret Court Arena. Well, Margaret Court is docking on in age now, but she is, uh, she's a minister in a church in Australia, apparently. And she's been quite vocal about same-sex marriage. And obviously, in, in Australia, they've just voted for same-sex marriage over there. She's quite vocal against this. Well, a few people have taken offence um, in the tennis world, uh, particularly Billie Jean King and Martina Navratilova. And I was listening on the radio yesterday, and they've been saying, Billie Jean King and Martina Navratilova, they've been saying, this arena needs to be renamed. If I was still playing, says Billie Jean King, I would not play in that arena. Now, it's easy for her to say that, her career's over. What about all these young women now who are tennis players? Are they gonna, I'm not going to play in there because it's called Margaret Court Arena and she's homophobic. What on earth is going on? See, people don't want to be made to feel bad about their sin. They want to be encouraged to live a life against the God who created them. Against Jesus who died for them and rose from the dead. They want to live in the way they want to live. See, Barnabas would never encourage that. We need to encourage each other to live for the Lord Jesus. We make mistakes. We're sinners saved by grace. We will get things wrong. But friends, let's encourage each other to live faithfully to the Lord Jesus. In Hebrews 3 verses 12 and 13, he says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you any evil, unbelieving hearts, leading you to fall away from the living God, but rather exhort or encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, but not, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need to encourage each other to live for the Lord Jesus, to live in a way that's pleasing for him and to him. Barnabas encourages believers to give. And Barnabas encourages believers to remain faithful to Christ. And finally, Barnabas encouraged people to stand for truth. To stand for truth. In Acts 13, we find Paul and Barnabas in Antioch again, where they are confronted by some of the Jews who were trying to contradict their message. It says here, Acts 13, 44 to 46. It says, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, 
They were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. You notice here that Barnabas and Paul didn't compromise, but spoke out boldly. He's basically saying here, you know, if you guys don't want to listen to this message, if, if you feel it's not for you, then that's okay. I'm going to go to someone else. And he, he went to the Gentiles, and the Gentile believers started to accept the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we find today is, well, Jesus said that to us, didn't he? He said, you know, if you're preaching, you're going from house to house, or in our terms, sharing the gospel with people, and they're not going to listen, shake the dust from your feet and move on. But we're not to compromise. But we're not to give way. We are to speak out boldly. Yesterday I was listening to a guy on YouTube. He's a guy called Douglas Murray. You may have heard of him. He's not a Christian. He's, he's an author, a journalist, a political commentator. He's the founder of something called the Center for Social Cohesion. And the associate director of the Henry Jackson Society which is a neoconservative British foreign policy think tank. Got that off their website. Now, what's interesting about Douglas Murray is he's an avowed atheist. He was in the Church of England, um, but gave up on God, uh, apparently. But uh, he's an avowed atheist, and, he, and he's a gay man. But, you know, I really enjoy listening to Douglas Murray because there's something I greatly admire about him is that he always speaks out boldly. He always speaks out boldly. And he speaks out very clearly, and he speaks out words of truth. You know, he calls out Islamic fundamentalism for what it is. Yeah, I was watching him yesterday. He was on like a panel, and uh, lots of Muslims around him and everything. He just calls it as it is. You know, it's Islamic fundamentalism. It's terrorism. You know, but he comes from Islam, and, and he's, he's very bold about that. And you think, man, these guys are going to have him when he gets outside. But he says it like it is. He also, interestingly as well, defends, boldly defends Israel's right to exist. It's interesting because he says, but I look at the facts. I look at the Middle East, and what do I see? I see Israel and, Is and, and, and Muslim fundamentalism all around it. That's the reality. And he, he said this. He said he came, he came across something recently. Um, a group called Gay People for Palestine. Now, bearing in mind that Douglas Murray would say, uh, identify himself as gay as well. He said, gay people for Palestine don't make me laugh. The first thing you would do if you were a gay person in Palestine is flee to Israel for protection. It's interesting. But I like him because he, he speaks very boldly. But here's a question for us um, this morning. Do we stand boldly? for the truth we claim to believe in? Do we stand boldly for the truth we claim to believe in? And that's not us going to pick a fight. I'm not suggesting that. That's not us being arrogant. That's not us being you know, all a pain in the neck with people. But what I'm saying is, do we stand fast like Paul and Barnabas did? Do we say, no, we're not going to compromise. This is the truth. Do we stand on the gospel truth? What is the gospel truth? Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father except by him. 
Do we stand on these truths? Or do we get persuaded by the world that says, no, there's many ways to God. No, everything's, you know, just okay. Let people live how they want to live. God loves everybody. Is that what the Bible teaches us? See, it seems that Barnabas and Paul in this situation here encourage those believers around them to stand for truth. What does it say in, uh, in the Bible? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentiles. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. Friends, let's encourage each other to stand up for truth and not be swayed by the world around us. I'm reading a book at the moment, a book that uh, Beth gave me. She, she read it and was greatly challenged by it. And the book's called We Died Before We Came Here. And this is uh, just a little intro to it. It says this. It says, if not you, who? If not now, when? This was the challenge answered by Stephen Foreman and his wife Emily when they traded in their American white picket fence for a giant dusty sandbox as missionaries in the desert of North Africa. Stephen had given Emily a well-read copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs on their first date. What's a great present for a first date, isn't it? Surprised she came back for a second. Um, a telling foreshadowing of the ultimate cost he would pay when, at 39 years old, he was shot and killed by Al-Qaeda operatives. His life and death planted a seed of boldness and inspiration in the hearts of the local believers. This seed would grow and multiply efforts to help reach the very goal that Stephen was willing to give his life for, glorifying God and seeing his kingdom established among the nations. It's not the sort of book you really want to read, perhaps. I'm not too sure. But the, the title is really interesting. We died before we came here. And what they're actually saying is, look, I didn't, you know, Stephen... Emily says, Stephen died there. Yeah, he was killed by Al-Qaeda operatives. But, you know, he died long before he even got here. He died to Christ. He gave everything to Christ. He was boldly going to proclaim the gospel that these people needed to hear. And Barnabas encourages us to do the same. To stand boldly for the Lord Jesus. To give our lives to him. In what ways can you and I stand boldly for the Lord in 2018? What is he challenging, challenging us with? Like Barnabas, I encourage you to give your all in the Lord's work. I encourage you to remain faithful to Christ in every area of your life. And I encourage you to stand up for truth. Luke eleven twenty four tells us that Barnabas was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He was the son of encouragement. Friends, what's your nickname? What would people call you? Other others would call us Barnabas. Amen. We're going to invite the worship band back to close with the final song. You would help us and encourage us to live for you. To just give our all for you. Lord, you've called us at a price. Cost you everything to buy us back. To bring us back into a relationship with the Father. Lord, I pray that we'd give our all to you. Help us to be a Barnabas. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to be a giving community. Help us to be a faithful community. 
Help us to be a community that stands up for truth. But more than anything, Lord, may we love you as we ought. Lord, may people see our our lives in the Lord Jesus and inquire after the Saviour, that they may want him themselves. So, Lord, help us. Give us ears to hear what you're challenging us with this year. And we do pray, Lord, for Sam and Hannah in Nepal. Remember that uh, they've given everything to go over there and serve the people in that country. Lord, bless them, refresh them, give them all that they need. Father, and uh, just watch over them. Bless those children. What fine examples Sam and Hannah are to those children. And uh, what they'll see and what they'll achieve in their life. Lord, help us to love you. And Lord, we pray now as we have uh, fellowship together and uh, just share with each other, Lord. May we be an encouragement to each other. And uh, Lord, we just give you all the praise and all the glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Just, um, just a reminder for those who got the uh, planning centre training, um, you should know about it. We're going to meet up in room seven. Um, so grab a drink, get a biscuit, and then head straight up. That'd be great. Thanks.